Let's sit. Let's learn. Let's evolve. Let's talk. No more whispering in our minds. Today is Let's Talk Arts with your host, Rachel Sara. Today I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we are broadcasting, pay my respects to elders past and present, and extend that welcome to all mob who are listening. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Black Arts. I'm so excited to be back in this groove. I'm joined by two incredible guests today. They're very calm on the other end of the microphones, but we're going to pump up their energy because they have a lot to brag about and I'm excited to pull that out of them. One of our guests you're very familiar with, Dom, and our other guest, Jacob Birch. How are you both? Yeah, good. Thanks, Rachel. Yeah, awesome to be here and to see you guys again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, well... Thanks for having us. <laughs> <laughs> Both very calm but incredible humans on the other side. We start all of our episodes with the same question, who your mob is, where you grew up. So, Jacob, we'll start with you. Yeah, uh, Gamilaroi mob. Uh, family lines mostly to Mungandai on the border, um, but I grew up in Toowoomba. Nice. Live up on sunny coast, Cubby Cubby. Beautiful, beautiful. So, yeah, I'm Gamilaroi and, um, yeah, my family are Taylors and Baileys from Corindai and Wahole. Um, yeah, grew up in Brisbane, Yilgara, Torrible country. Yeah, deadly. Now, this show is all about the arts, but we like to explore different entry points into the art and how intersects, uh, different intersects can come together to, I guess, create a sense of resistance through creativity and explorative and and cultural ways now this is exciting because we have a real life scientist in the room <laughs> jacob can you tell us a little bit about what you do i wouldn't call myself a real I, I would say like i would say science is like taking a um like a trade a trade you know you have a four-year trade um apprenticeship <laughs> and i would say i'm like a first year apprentice scientist and then you've got to do the next three years to be a fully-fledged, I reckon. Um, so <laughs> only just starting PhD this year. Um, only just starting <clears throat> PhD. Coming yeah. from someone who has a producer who is now titled Dr Nerd, Anna Carlson, I know there's a lot of work that goes into before you even start a PhD. Mm. Yeah, you do have to do a little bit of science. Um, yeah, I guess the, the way, that's how I sort of stepped into this space the reason why I'm here today, like, was through that science door. Um, I studied enviro science, marine science, did honours degree, looked at um, um, doing some nutritional analyses on our native grains. Mm-hmm. So really passionate about native grains and that opportunity that presents. And nutritional research is very sort of lab-based, hard science what we call hard science is quantitative it's it, you're stuck in a lab so you're not snacking no because some of these chemicals will kill you you don't want to be eating while you're handling <laughs> chemicals um it's like but, sometimes uh, i accidentally put my paintbrush in my coffee cup that's what it sounds like no no you don't want to do that <laughs> but yeah is that that kind of doesn't sit very well for for us like because mm. we need to be a bit more relational in what we do. Mm. And so I sort of complemented that with social science. Mm. And you can call anything science, I guess. So social science is more of a qualitative, they call it soft science. Mm. And that was, um, yeah, more about 
understanding how I can position that really hard scientific work within our kind of frameworks and like how can I do this research in a way that I feel is ethical and aligned to my morals and values and mm. our mob's morals and values and aspirations and how does it sit within all of that? Mm. Yeah. So it definitely sounds more than an apprentice scientist to me, but... Um, yeah, well, usually it's apprentices doing the work anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And Dom, we obviously heard from you, but if can you give us a bit of an update on who you are? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> sort of do a lots of little bits and pieces, but yeah, mainly sitting in the art space or what we'd call the art space mm. now. Um, yeah, although I, you know, coming from our cultural context where art and science and um, social science and spirituality and everything is rolled in together. Um, but yeah, I, I work and teach um, within the Bachelor of Contemporary Australian mm. Indigenous Art. So yeah, a lot of my work coming from an arts lens. But um, yeah, a lot of my sort of research, I guess, and practice is um, quite grounded um, and community engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which brings me into the weird and wonderful spaces of the laundry, which the black laundry, yeah. which we talked about last time. Um, yeah, and also into the food space as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's an excellent segue on how a scientist and someone in the arts kind of come together. Can you talk to us about how you two came to be working together? Yeah, I think, I don't know now, it's all kind of blurred, blurred in. <laughs> it's been quite a few years. Um, yeah, I think, so I'm doing a PhD at the minute in relational creative practice and urban Aboriginal food growing. Mm-hmm. So looking at um, where no one in the research base has really looked, you know, how a lot of mob, 81% of us live in cities, um, yeah, how we're sort of continuing culture, connecting with our foods, um, growing foods, growing our and revitalising and, and regenerating our knowledges um, in urban spaces. Mm. And, yeah, I think um, Jacob and I just happened to kind of be in a Zoom, a related food Zoom um, somewhere. And then, yeah, since then just sort of really just built really solid friendship. And I think, you know, coming from um, our cultural context, just have a lot of deep um, connectedness there and yeah Jacob's just down the road a little bit as well where we live um, so yeah and it just sort of grew from there and I think just having a um, yeah really kind of connected cultural standpoint um, and friendship yeah we're not we're not related yet um, <laughs> but yeah surely some shared connections there so yeah we've just intertwined not that we sort of work specifically together but I think our our sort of passion for food um, business in and around, yeah, different spaces brings us together. Mm. Yeah, and um, I think there is a little bit of work that we're sort of um, starting to explore together with, with a bigger group of people as well. But, um, yeah, it, it's not often you sort of come across people in, in this academic kind of space um, who are for a start mob mm. to begin with and then sort of um, aligning with those values, like especially in science and especially in that food space, like it's very exploitative mm. and like, you know, a lot of um, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people in that research space are actively sort of um, steered away from trying to keep it ethical. Like, you know, people 
research in Gumby Gumby, for example, are told, you know, don't acknowledge any Aboriginal usage of this, you know, that then they don't even acknowledge it and they're they're told not to acknowledge it by their supervisors. Like mm. um, you know, scientists within academia tapping into like that undergrad and, and, and higher degree by research students. Um, so when you find people, you know, we're, we're, we've got a network of people who we've connected in with from various areas mm. all across the place, um, you know, it's that network, that peer network, that support network, friends, cultural network as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I love that. And I think one of the things I always love about this show is hearing how creatives think and you've mentioned Jacob that there is an interesting thing and intersect between science and how creatives think can you explain to me a little bit more about the sentiment behind that Uh, I'll try to articulate myself um, better when I can write it down but um we love word vomit on this show (laughs) let me tell you (laughs) I'll try then um I just I just you know because people like Dom and a lot of the people in our network come from that more humanities Mm. background and seeing the way that they think compared to like the way you're sort of taught to think in science Mm. is very different and it's I think it's so complementary to that science thinking like science is like super objective and and it's like you have you can just produce knowledge without any kind of thinking about what impact it's going to have out there in the world and ha- what, especially if, like in our spaces, like working with like First Nations is like, you know, producing knowledge, um, say in that bush food space, if you're producing knowledge that could be taken by the biomedical industry or something mm. or, you know, turned into some kind of product, you, you, it doesn't teach you to think about things like that and it's just a really kind of linear kind of in a box kind of thinking style and just even the way they teach you how to write it has to be there's no emotion in it you can't have any thought or feel like any feeling in it Mm. um has to be very sort of boring and i think that's a big (laughs) problem with like um you know science despite the things that we know we can't get traction, like say climate change is an example. We can't get traction out there because we don't know how to tell a story. Scientists mm. don't know how to s- tell a good story. They're kind of matter-of-fact sort of vibe. Yeah, it's like, you, you know, and then you get someone like Donald Trump and he can tell an amazing story <laughs> and it's absolute rubbish and rot and it's not mm. no fact at all, but it gets traction because it's, mm. a, it's a good story that engages people and we can't do that, whereas, you know, I think, we can bring a bit of heart and relationality into science, I think. Um, that would be really powerful. Mm. Um, yeah, and that's sort of where I think that intersection with arts and science where I was saying, like, I think there should be a double degrees, arts and science double degree where you can get you know, yeah. trained in both things. Because I think that's what really drew me to the creative industry as well personally was because for me I really struggled to get from – a predetermined A to B, whereas my mind and my creative t- cre- creativity and also I think my cultural background just wanted more exploration. And I think there is something beautiful about that intersect between science and art and, and how that can restore 
different ways of thinking and offer different ways of thinking. Dom, you mentioned you were really interested in that restorative kind of aspect of it. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know the statistic, but I think something like 37% of mob engage in art practice in some way. Mm. You know, we're already in contemporary senses sort of engaged in art practice or creative practice. And I think that's because of our cultural context, you know. Mm. Um, you know, when I think about, you know, us being the world's oldest scientists and, and all that mm. kind of what we'd now call scientific knowledge, I think had a real basis in what we'd now call creative practice, you know. Mm. It's so in the fabric of our cultures, our songs, our dances, our storytelling, mark-making, um, but also that kind of relational aspect that comes to creative practice. You know, we, we're engaging our bodily knowledge, our feeling, our intuition, um, mm. our healing, our processing, you know, all of the, you know all of these things. And so for me, I think um, sort of in my research trying to bring what we, you know, I think art practice can come sometimes be sort of um, sucked into these Western ideas that mm. it's just about things on the wall and sculpture and photography and all these sort of disciplines. But, you know, for me, um, you know, it's that connective stuff like yarning, mm. walking country, um, you know, touching, tasting, smelling our foods. Um, that to me is creative practice. Um, so I guess in a sense trying to bring that conversation a little bit to, you know, mainstream art discourse. Mm. Um, but, yeah, maybe also, as Jacob said, you know, trying to bring, I guess, some of the knowledges that are locked up in science disciplines into more integrated, grounded, connected places because, you know, not only, I think, is that just the way that a lot of mob can sort of relate to, mm -hmm. um, but it makes, you know, some of these knowledges to um, a bit more accessible unis are great places to lock up information and keep them away from mm -hmm. communities as well. Yeah. But so thinking through, you know, how do we practice something that can be really um, accessible for people. And you mentioned earlier, both of you, around storytelling. Um, I think that's something we see a lot within our landscape in Australia. There's a lot of, I guess, primary narratives that don't really align to us. But the work that both of you are doing, what is the story that you want to tell with it? Um, I think it's unfolding as we go. Uh, mm. not trying to hold on to a predetermined destination and, and seeing where where it takes us. Mm. Um, trying to just stay or as authentic and true. For me, anyway, this is how things have worked for me. It's like letting things flow as mm. they need to flow, mm. not trying to force yourself into a situation or force something to happen. Or it, It's been very, very natural. Um, mm. There's like a flexibility and an agility to doing things differently without a, a kind of an idea of it being an outcome. Mm. Yeah, and it's like we're in a completely like new landscape we've never been before too. Mm. Like it's, yeah. And so on that like different landscape as well, I guess, because science, like you say, typically it's a very Western way of doing things. And then you're bringing, both of you are bringing Indigenous methodologies into the practice and your work. I can imagine that there's a lot of challenges that come from doing things differently and essentially being trailblazers in your, in your work. Can you talk to us a little bit about, I guess, how challenging it can be because I know we kind of gloss over a lot of things often but 
<laughs> we know it's a lot of hard work. Yeah, there's a lot going on and probably too much really to, to talk about in a short show. And, yeah. you know, I'm really conscious of Jacob as well too because I think Jacob's work really positions himself at some of the coalface of, if that's the right term, of some of these big forces of big business, um, greedy research, you know, institutions. Um, you know, our grains, well, yeah, our grains are, um, yeah, they're, they're obviously extremely important to us, our story, mm. um, you know, our connection, you know, and Jacob's work too is also trying to hold space for our foods as also a way that we can revitalise our governance, mm. um, you know, engage our communities in economically, socially, you know, you leverage some of, I guess, you know, the the marketability of our grains at the minute. But, yeah, everyone's trying to get their greedy little hands on them. So, mm. you know, for me, I guess I'm sort of having little micro fights in other spaces, but, you know, that's the good ways, I think, that for us to be together as well across our disciplines is that we can really support each other and understand where we're you know, some of the problematics and how it, it kind of can, you know, be really um, hard spaces for us. But, you know, we always talk about when we're together, you know, and when we're in a, our extended group and when we're honouring that space of, um, you know, grounding ourselves in our cultural ethic as well um, can be really strong and really nourishing and, and what we sort of need in these spaces. Um, you were just talking in the car, you know, you were talking before about, you know, what's the story sort of thing and, and where to. And um, we were just sort of talking before in the car about, you know, if you hold the right containers as well, if you have good listening, if you're grounded in your, your cultural ethic and your protocols and the story that needs to happen will, will happen and mm -hmm. will happen in a good way. And so I think, you know, despite all of everything that goes on, yeah, just being really bound together, I guess, in in our support for each other and also just our, our love and connection of our culture mm. um, is really important. So you mentioned governance. So in the arts, we obviously have copyright and intellectual property, and that is often a very difficult conversation. How does that even work in something like this? Like, obviously, you're doing a lot of research. And for us as mob, it's very much like to benefit our community. But I can imagine there's a lot of non-Indigenous parties that would be very interested in the information and knowledge. How do you navigate that? This is a big sort of uh, issue that that we kind of are thinking about in that native grain space and and I think that's one of the reasons why that governance part is really important and, and for me governance, the sustainable level of governance is taking it back to you know, language group, tribal group, clan group, setting the governance there and having each nation governing their own of own affairs, their own language, their mm. own use of their language. And, you know, like if we're generating all of this intellectual property with native grain work, then who holds that knowledge? And, and there's been talk of like a national body will hold the knowledge, but I, I don't think, I think we need to take it back down to that language mm. group level um, and, you know, we're looking at things like how can we, you know, language is that intangible heritage, that's intangible cultural heritage encapsulates so much, even just a word, there's so much knowledge in a word. Mm. It's like, um, you know, how can we 
protect the use of our words because our words are already being taken in, in this native grain space. It's only such in a small emerging space and already people mm. are taking that language word that belongs to Gamilaroi and, and it's like these are really big things that we have to consider and how do we protect that? And it, and it for me, yeah, it comes to that. No, and, and back to what Dom was saying, like how do we navigate these things? It's like if it was me by myself, I would have stepped out of this space a long time ago, but I have this network of peers and friends mm. and my own mob like Dom in this space who are there backing me up every step of the way. Mm. And all of a sudden where my voice is a single voice in this space, if we start to come together, we're amplifying and and like that voice is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. So I've already had an experience where I advocated against some stuff happening between two multi-billion dollar entities breeding our grains and and I was a single voice advocating against that and I was sort of painted as the rogue who had an axe to grind and mm. but then other people started adding weight to what I was saying and all of a sudden they had to be like, oh, yeah. maybe maybe what he's saying is true and, and maybe we need to rethink what we've done here mm. because there's more than one voice now. So I think... Yeah, collectivizing and and as a community coming together and, and figuring these things out. Mm. Um, and I can imagine the native grains and just our native ingredients and native flora all around Australia, different language groups, hold different stories to the same thing. So that in itself is really interesting. The thing that kind of keeps going through my head as you're talking is how, you know, Australia in their GDP are benefiting financially from a lot of our native ingredients and how that's actually not benefiting us as mob. And it's just the more you think about it, the more it kind of unravels all these other problems that you need to fix and kind of you can only do that as a collective because like you said, if you're one person saying that, there's not a whole lot of weight behind it. But this conversation is so interesting and I go through phases of completely understanding you both and having no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) But let's bring it back slightly to just like the native grain aspect of both of your works. Do you have a favourite thing? Mm. (laughs) Grain, ingredient, flour to work with in art, anything like that? Well, if I'll... I, I have I know you do. I can see it yeah. in your face. Oh, I have this one that I just is is so special and it's um I think there's so much that we are yet to uncover about mm-hmm. it. Um and it's potential going forward as well. But I sort of see it like like I had this workshop and someone someone was saying like you know, it I was saying how just like our our mob have like been pushed to the brink of extinction. Mm-hmm. These grasses are being put pushed to the brink of extinction. Like where you used to find them, like they're not there anymore. Like we're competing with like all of these new grazing animals. We're competing with like introduced weeds. Mm. No longer getting that good um, land management. The fire mm. regimes have all stopped, and it's impacting like that relationship between human and grass is no longer there and, and it needs to be managed. There's mm. a, this re- reciprocal relationship and um, there's this like we're consciously now coming back 
like Indigenous peoples are coming back, but also like in doing that, we're consciously bringing back these other things from the brink as well. Yeah. Bringing them back into the relationship. And um, I think this one is really symbolic of that, this mm. one particular species we call Gunalay. Um, and and it's it it's like embedded in our subconscious, and I think embedded in everybody's subconscious too. Because you look at it, it looks like it looks like wheat or barley, and everybody knows what that looks like. Mm. But it's slightly different. It holds the seeds on two rows mm. up the top, like wheat or barley does. But it looks different. So you look at it, and it, it you recognise it, but it's it's not wheat or barley. It's different. Yeah. So I don't. I don't know. Like, there's so much in in this one particular species. Like, so, are you saying that you're recognizing it because of the wheat or barley, or do you think there's a deep sense of knowing spiritually that you've seen it and felt it and understood it before? Um, I think all peoples have. Yeah, like you look back. Like in my research, I found like um, people have been eating cereals for over 100,000 years. Mm. And this evidence is coming out of all around the world, Africa, mm. Asia, Australia. It's it's not isolated examples. It's, it's we're discovering mm. more and more that it's a really important part of our history and it's probably what shifted our evolution into modern human beings mm. is the consumption of carb heavy foods like cereals and stuff like root vegetables and stuff mm. yams and that and i'm assuming it looks nothing like fruit loops or anything like that <laughs> no that's it no it's, it's, it's real food yeah and dom what about you can i have two yes um, i'll allow it this okay, time thank you um yeah, I mean, I don't work specifically with native grains, um, so my, I sort of am looking more at, um, yeah, our foods in general and, and ones that sort of um, sort of sit within urban spaces mm-hmm. too. Um, yeah, not big fields. Sit things. within urban spaces as in like just generally or leaving it on your stairs before you leave? To <laughs> Both. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, so I've always think of one, so a, a Gumby Gumby plant that was given to me and it's special Before. to me, yeah, because it's a medicinal plant of ours yeah. but also that it was a gift. Um, and for the last couple of years, um, family and I have been quite housing insecure. We've moved a lot of places uh, in different rentals and different things mm-hmm. um, the last couple of years. And But this Gumby Gumby stayed with me in this pot and it's always looking healthy. And when I'm not feeling, uh, feeling it, I look at the Gumby Gumby and it's always looking really nice and vibrant and beautiful thing for me to you know, take from and talk to and look after and um, and share around with people as well. So the gift, the gift, the gifts of, of our foods is really mm. important for me and that's what makes them so special and the knowledges um, that get shared when they're gifts as well yeah. that you don't get when you just buy them from a nursery. Yeah. Um, and also it's bunya season uh, at the minute. So, yeah, it's always special, um, the gifts of country, hey, and yeah. I'm up on Jinnabara country, Cubby Cubby speaking, Jinnabara country. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, the joy of just sort of finding that first bunya of the season and, and the um, abundance of that and what it stirs in you to want to be generous. Mm. Um, I've got one in the car for Jacob. I should have <laughs> bought one. Should have bought one down for you guys. Um, we'll just have to get you back on a third time. Okay, yeah. <laughs> or I can just come down and... Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, load up the car. But, yeah, I think the gen- the generosity of country and how we can um, work with that and, and share that, that's always a special yeah. one when I think about our foods. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of country and 
generosity. We obviously as First Nations people are... We are part of the land and we protect it in different ways. And, Jacob, you said something when you were talking about the grass, how it's no longer in places where it used to be. Things like climate change are obviously this throwing a huge spanner in the works in terms of restoring our, our native plants and grains. And, and is there an element of compensating for the dire future in many ways in your thinking around the science-based knowledge? Obviously, something that used to maybe 10 years ago be restored in a certain area, do you have to compensate for, I guess, the increased heat in different areas and, and adjust it in that way? I, I think we will. And and there's ways of doing that proper way. Mm. Like we, we know scientifically proven now that the black bean was, was culturally moved so mm. it came from I think far north Queensland and it has been deliberately moved mm. far south down into northern New South Wales and you get it out on the Great Dividing Range as well. Mm. Um, yeah, I think definitely we will, we will have to and and places here that are subtropical, they will eventually probably be more tropical than subtropical. Mm. We'll start getting cyclones down this way more often. Um, and, yeah, so that's imp- another reason why it's really important to protect the genetic diversity of mm. what we've got. We don't want to breed out that genetic diversity because there will be um, remnants in there that will be adaptable to these changing conditions. And, and you know, I've found up on the sunny coast, like there's the sunny coast is an example of where it's very hard to find a native grass because it's subtropical. You've got all these invasive subtropical grasses from Africa and Asia that have been introduced and they just outcompete everything. Mm. I found this um, population of Microlina stapoides, which is our meadow rice grass. It's related to rice. And um, it's not doing very well. And it's like we're having really, really high heat mm. and really wet. And this grass likes temperate, temperate conditions, which it would have been more consistent back in the day. But mm. now things are changing. Mm. But it's a good genetic reserve of a species in its most northern range which will be important for the genetics as these, you know, these climatic zones push further south. Mm. Um, but I'm also like thinking, thinking about like how can we, you know, our, we've got a bigger population now. We've got our landscape has changed with all of these new impacts, new, new plant species, new animal species, mm. um, pesticide residue, like chemical residue, you don't know how long some of these things are going to last in the mm. environment, Think things like plastics. So we're never going to get back to what we had. But how can we, like, bring things in to fit a niche that was there and that? So it's like, you know, we have millet as a really important cultural food all across Australia um, in the panicum species, aerogrostis. There's a whole bunch of other, like, panic, um, they're millets. Mm. And millet is important all around the world. And they have all these same genuses, these very, very similar grasses that can fit into this niche. So, like, is there an opportunity where we can take something that is going to be able to feed more people and survive in this climate and, and put it in that place to be able to get outcomes that we want where we can get, you know, social outcomes, people can have jobs and, and we can feed people really healthy food and we can be using the land sustainably and putting this thing into that niche that was there. Um, yeah, so 
I think we do need to think about those kinds yeah. of things. Like, you know, and you, you hear stories where the old people say, like, you know, even cane toad is here for a reason. Mm. And it's like figuring out what what these things are, can be yeah. used for and how we can bring all those things into that good holistic functioning system. Yeah, problem solve and have a creative, yeah, creative brain, I guess, on all of those problems. You two are so interesting. Like my mind is buzzing. Um, we are running out of time. But I do have one last question for both of you. Obviously, working with people is really exciting. I miss it sometimes when I'm home working by myself. But what is one of the favourite things that you two have learnt either about each other or each other's practices by being in the same space and collaborating on knowledge? Yeah, I mean, I'm just, yeah, learning things all the time and I think that that's, you know, one of the great things about being a collective thinker as well is that people are always showing you things about yourself mm. as well as much as about themselves mm. um, and, yeah, and collectively looking at country, you know, like we all need, we've got limits in our knowledges and capacities mm. and to have all those um, pairs of eyes looking, you know, and caring and, and feeling is, is really important. And um, But, yeah, Jacob particularly just his very calm and, and grounded um, presence and patience and his, yeah, fire and capacity to, to kind of be in these spaces is, for me is really energising. Um, yeah. I love that. Yeah, and, like, Dom's really, op- like, probably doesn't realise but has opened a lot of doors me like I, we met very early in this journey for myself and um yeah brought me into a lot of spaces that have been really important and not just professionally but into cultural spaces as well mm. um and connected me with people and connected me into groups of people that are now like where i call some of my closest friends like some of those people that she's connected me into um so that, yeah i think like we're always looking for opportunities, not just us, but our, like our networks. We're looking mm. for opportunities to elevate ourselves. And now, now I'm thinking about that. Like with this thing that I'm setting up, this this business is like, how can I use this entity to to pay forward what's been paid to me mm. and to elevate other people within like my circle? Yeah, through these things that I can create opportunities, I can create for those those people mm. using the platform that I have to elevate people. Yeah, um, in the same way that it's been done for me. Yeah, I love that. I just love how that's a consideration for us as mob because you don't often get that in mainstream industries, and everyone's kind of in their own little lane. Um, but. I will say, again, you're so interesting, both of you, and I can't wait to go and explore more of your work. For those who may be on the same wavelength as me and want to explore more of your work, where can they find you? Um, I'm kind of not very good at being active. I'll do a little bit. I'll do it for Jacob. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That Native Grains guy on Instagram and uh, Yamara and Yarrell. Yeah, yeah, that's the company website that I'm sort of, that's the company I'm setting up and you can find that website, but it's a mouthful. Well. You'll have to Google, like, Yamara is is our sheaf of native grain and Yarrow is stone, it's like sheaf and stone. So we're using the stone to mill the grain. Love that. So setting up a stone mill on the sunny coast, so you can come check it out and check out the. Yeah. 
and we'll put that info in the show notes as well. Yeah, yeah, because it's a, if you don't know, you know how to spell it. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, you do. And and um, obviously, we probably told guests last week, but in, again, in case they missed it. Yeah, I probably didn't messi- uh, mention last week, but I've I've just started up a not for profit. Um, that's yeah, really. She um, does it all. I'm tired. No, yeah, <laughs> no, good, good ways. Um, yeah, it's there to support um, First Nations culturally centered, country centered food growing and food initiatives in urban spaces. Um, so that's called Euro One. So you can go uh, Euro One org.au the website should be up in a couple of weeks mm. um and then yeah otherwise you can just find me at walking story as well on all the socials yeah amazing and also stay tuned with black laundry with your work with libby yeah. as well again thank you so much both of you for coming in and sharing your knowledge and i think for a lot of us listening to you speak it's kind of just ignited this sense of wonder and and this interest to explore further and kind of just consider more than what's in front of us which is really exciting but thank you so much for joining us this has been another episode of black arts i can't believe it's 2024 and we are back into the swing of things next week we'll be back with more incredible guests but until then stay deadly thanks guys thank you thank you let's talk monday to friday at 9 a.m on triple a murray country the National Indigenous Radio Service and iHeartRadio. You can catch up on AAA.org.au, proudly supported by the Community Broadcast Foundation.